0: The thing I like about resilience is you can apply it to almost anything. We talk about organizational resilience, operational resilience, and personal resilience. But what about community resilience? And what about resilience in communities of color? Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 25 of the Resilient Journey podcast sponsored by Clear Risk. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and today I'm honored to be joined by founder and CEO of the Institute for Diversity and Inclusion in Emergency Management, Chauncea Willis. If you're thinking that another conversation on diversity isn't for you, I would encourage you to reconsider and listen as Chauncea shares how they are interrupting the cycle of bias, the impact of bias on employees, and how a more diverse team leads to better outcomes post-disaster. We'll hear from Chauncey Willis after this quick word from ClearRisk. Navigating changes in the risk landscape can be daunting without access to the right tools. ClearRisk's centralized risk management solution streamlines the process of data collection and analysis, helping customers make impactful decisions and focus on big picture
1: initiatives. ClearRisk provides a highly configurable, easy to use solution that gives our customers the confidence to inform decision-making and proactively optimize risk in their organizations. Effective risk management begins with data you can trust. Learn more at clearrisk.com.
0: Chauncey, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for agreeing to do this. I'll start out just by saying I'm a huge fan of you and your organization before we get too far, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Well,
1: first, Mark, thank you so much for having me uh, on your podcast today. I thank you so much. I honor that. And I'm, I'm so excited to hear that you're a huge fan. I always wonder, what could anyone be a fan of? I'm the most boring person I
0: know.
1: <laughs> nonetheless, nonetheless. I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I am um, a longtime emergency manager. I've been doing this for over twenty years. It sounds crazy to say that, because um, where did the time go? Right. Um, but I, I have been one of the few African American women in uh, positions of leadership within emergency management, and um, throughout those uh, years, uh, serving in local. Uh, government, state government, uh, working for um, national um, homeland security contracting companies serving as a consultant. Um, and then finally, um, now here as a CEO for the Institute for Diversity and Inclusion and in Emergency Management. Um, I can honestly say that um, I've had the benefit of seeing emergency management and disaster um, management as a whole, as an enterprise, um, I've seen it from a few different um, perspectives, and um, it needs work. Mm. I, I like to be honest and, and forthright about things. It needs it needs a lot of work, and it needs work around uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Hence, uh, the reason we created, you know, this organization.
0: So you asked, you know, what could I be a fan of, and it's in your answer. So yeah all right, you've been a successful practitioner in that field and that's great and you could have just said hey, I got mine and here we go and, and everything's good. But you didn't. You decided no, it needs work and we're going to we're going to try to fix some stuff here and and that's where the I'm just going to start referring to it in the short form here, the IDIEM came out of that. So how long have you been doing uh, the institute
1: I never know where to really pin the starting point, because for me, it's been inside my heart for so long. I would say officially, we, we um, founded the Institute in uh, 2019. Um, we didn't focus as much um, on building the Institute at that time. Um, we really started um, beginning the process of talking about the concepts of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And um, speaking with the the FEMA administrators, speaking with different people within the field of emergency management to to gauge their interest in really supporting um, an organization like the Institute that would start taking a closer look at racial equity LGBTQ uh, parity, we wanted to take a deep dive into all of the elements of diversity uh, to find out if as a field, we were really um, doing the work that's necessary um, to achieve equitable outcomes for everyone. It's been um, a passion for a long time um, and we've really been cooking for about two years, two and a half years.
0: I wanna talk about your philosophy for change because it's gotta feel you know, like a, a an uphill battle. And you say on your website that you wanna help organizations create policies, programs, and practices that are equitable. So walk me through what that looks like and, and how you might help an organization you know, get to that point.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a fantastic um, question. I'm glad someone does read the website, Burbage. I'm I'm happy to hear that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I always wonder, you know, as an emergency manager, you write plans and you always wonder, does anyone ever read this except for me? (laughs) But yeah, so, um, you know, a lot of organizations have indicated that they know that there is um, room for improvement. And um, whether it's by, you know, doing something that they themselves um, recognize was um, not the right approach, Or they want to make sure that they're doing the best for the communities they're serving. They want to make sure they're doing the best for their internal staff. So one of the ways that we come in and we partner with these uh, different organizations, one of the strategies that we use is is uh, we begin to take a look at the entire system of that organization from its recruitment, its um, its promotion policies. We look at even the um, the organization's mission. Does it have a special uh, consideration for? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, many times we'll get calls from organizations from around the country and they'll say, but Chauncey, we, we just don't get any applications from um, people who are, are, are representing diverse backgrounds or people of different uh, racial um, makeups. We just don't get those applications. And I say, mm, let me take a look at what, <laughs> at what, at what your organization looks like, um, just aesthetically. And so it, it could be something as simple as um, a job description that is actually exclusive and not inclusive. It could be um, uh, it, it could be something as simple as um, some organizations have um, issues with retaining people of color. And I, I can I can I can I take a look at the meeting schedule? Who's who's invited to these meetings? At what time are you interacting with these um, different elements of diversity? There's something there that's not welcoming. And so we have to identify it and we we literally sit down with you and go over it. So, um, you know, we say ideum, but um, our organization is made up of uh, disaster. Um, management practitioners, but also diversity strategists, equity strategists, and inclusion strategists who know how to operationalize um, all of those different aspects within organizations. Um, So in addition, we have a team of researchers um, as well who are looking at the data, um, who are conducting surveys, hosting focus groups, um, getting that feedback. So the organization is informed. Um, and they also handle the plan review where they go in and they look for equity in the plans to determine if it's feasible for equitable outcomes. Cause you can tell from the beginning. <laughs> so all that stuff is kind of boring and technical, but we love it.
0: <laughs> it's, not, it's not boring at all. At least I hope it's not boring because we're spending time on the podcast on it. Um, but 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 i think it's very interesting and it really speaks to what you're trying to do is change the organization's culture and commitment to diversity mm-hmm. and sometimes it's a little easier than others and i'll give you an example i was working with a client just recently within the last couple of weeks and they asked me to review a job description that they had written because they needed to hire a, a specific position mm-hmm. and the job description started off by referring to the person as the candidate but as it went through it started to referring to the person as he, he will do this, he will have this (laughs) skill. And I changed it. I just, you know, I went back and I said, every time there's, he, it needs to be gender neutral. Mm -hmm. Um, And in that particular case, it was a, it was a technology role Mm. and I'm a huge advocate of seeing women promoted to leadership roles in, in technology as well. And um, so hopefully I was able to make a little bit of a minor difference there. But, you know, it's that type of stuff, right?
1: Absolutely. It's really a mindset shift. You know, um, our society is really, has really been conditioned to believe that the white male Anglo-Saxon is norm. That's the norm. That's the baseline. You see it in our public health policies. You see it in our medical standards. You see that as the as the, the baseline, that's the benchmark, that's the standard. And so when you really start to look at the plans and you deconstruct some of that mindset and you say, you know, could it be that this position is not appealing to women because you're referring to the most ideal candidate as a male, (laughs) you, you, you are not being as inclusive um, and it's not intentional. It's just that that is the standard for our country. And so we have to, um, our organization um, and and the team members and all of our partners, we have really committed to interrupting that cycle of bias. And that cycle of bias, it starts um, to impact and uh, unfortunately infect organizations at the individual level. And then you begin to see it spread and become a collective mindset and it's accepted. And so it's a little harder to interrupt that cycle and begin to to really deconstruct. But we just, you know, we always ask each person, each individual, start with yourself. Where's your bias?
0: (laughs) And be honest, you know, have that honest conversation with yourself to see if you really are biased about certain things. Mm-hmm. And I have to hand it to you. One of the fav- most favorite things that I've heard anybody say on this podcast in a long time is interrupt the cycle. I love that. I think that's brilliant.
1: Yeah, it really is a cycle. Um, unfortunate, unfortunately, it's it's one that um, repeats itself in the most, it, it, it just, it shows up in the most, um, Unexpected places and at inopportune <laughs> moments, you know, um, and it's unfortunate because that that bias has impact. Um, it makes you feel, um, as I write about in my book, um, stretching. That bias makes you feel unwelcome, unwanted, unworthy, and so. You know, when you walk into a room and everyone is having that meeting and you are the last one to walk in and they stop talking and everyone looks uncomfortable and you can sense it, right, that they've been talking about you. Well, how long do you think I want to stay here? (laughs) Not long. And so it's interesting. We actually encourage employees who don't feel welcome to leave. Why would you waste your time with an organization that doesn't value you? That's an
0: interesting conversation too. And I'm Mm -hmm. afraid that if we got as deep into it as I wanted to, I'd never get to some of these other questions, but I'm going to spend another second on that because I love what you just said. It's this trade-off between, no, I deserve to be here as much as anybody else. I'm going to stand my ground and fight for what's right. Not only what's right for me, but what's right broader for society but then, to at a point, at some point, it
1: mm-hmm. just
0: becomes not worth it, right? It's time to move on.
1: It's it's stressful. Um, there's um, a, a a data point um, that says that women of color experience stress at higher rates. I think it's above forty five percent. So yeah. you you can't <laughs> keep fighting the battle. Yeah. At some point, we have to say. We've had so many people who have fought this battle and you haven't you haven't uh, seen it as a priority to implement any of these um, changes. So why am I wasting my time? Why don't I find an organization that celebrates me as a whole person, all of me? And um, and that's what we would encourage. (laughs) Why? Why fight that battle over and over again? We need a different a different approach now.
0: I like your perspective. I'm standing here. If I'm a woman of color in an organization, I'm literally standing here on the shoulders of everyone who went before me, who fought the fight so that I could be here. And if this organization hasn't changed its mind by now, based on everything else that's going on, you're Mm -hmm. right. It's probably too much of an uphill battle.
1: Right. It's a lot for one person. Um, I can attest to that myself. It's a lot. It's a lot of tears. It's a lot of intentional shaming it, it it just takes a very very focused person with a whole bunch of time <laughs> to dedicate to the fight um and unfortunately most people just they just want they just want to have a good job and go home and enjoy their families they don't want to stand there and fight every time they come into work so I so yeah, more, more about that in the book and other areas.
0: <laughs> we'll put a link to the book in the show notes and I would encourage people to, to get it for sure. Some of the goals that you lay out as an organization, are, well, they're all very interesting, but there's one that I wanna jump on since we talk about resilience here. And that is building resilience in communities of color and underserved communities. And you talk about doing it by supporting innovative mitigation and adaptation projects. I don't know what that means. Can you uh, help me out, <laughs> with, with explain that a little bit?
1: I love it. Okay, so <laughs> so um, in the world of emergency management, we run um, parallel with, uh, with the work that's being done on the climate resilience side, right? So there's a lot happening with climate change, sustainability and adaptation. Um, I just, uh, wrote an article with the climate, um, resilience, uh, um, consulting group, CRC on the, um, uh, it's called why is resilience so white? Um, mm-hmm. and it talks about how all of these, uh, different, um, areas where there are gaps in diversity actually lead to, um, a less prepared community. Right. And so, um, without that level of intentional focus on resilience, and looking for innovative ways to adapt to um, the impacts of climate change, whether it's increased heat, whether it's um, increased wildfires, whether whether we're seeing the hurricanes, more hurricanes, more uh, severe hurricanes, hurricanes that are coming in faster, um, with more intensity and less preparation time mm-hmm. so when we when we're speaking about adaptation we're looking for those opportunities to innovate um, so that these communities are not serving as the bumper to the entire state who's experiencing hurricanes I just spoke with uh, Chief Teresa in um, one of the Native American tribes in the Bayous and sitting there, and looking around, you see where the, um, the the waterways are less lush. They are not as um, as full. The greenery, the bayou itself, the, the 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 fishing, all of that is impacted by climate change impacts, and also oil drilling. Let's be honest. Um, there's there's oil drilling going on, and that's terrible for the environment. But these are environmental impacts. And so speaking with these um, partners that we've developed throughout the throughout the nation, but specifically in Louisiana, um, Chief Teresa used that term, we feel like we're the bumper of the state. Everything that used to protect us here on the coastal areas is gone. It's gone. And so when we come in with our equity response teams to take a look at the um they find out if there has been any inequitable treatment of underserved or underrepresented communities. One of the first areas we we try to, to get out to are the coastal areas. Um, and unfortunately for these tribes, they are experiencing some of the worst environmental degradation that I've ever seen. I've and also I've never seen hurricanes and tornadoes like in Kentucky. Mm-hmm that have that much, um, it was so significant. I mean, I've been doing this for years. Um, I've never seen that type of damage, concentrated damage, where it looks like matchsticks Mm. um, have just been thrown up in the air. I've never seen that before. So I know the climate change, like climate change is is having a a serious impact and it's impacting the most vulnerable first. And- it's terrible. So we have to do something.
0: There are three really important data points here that need to be tied together. And let's do, let's do that right now. So we talk about, first of all, uh, communities of color, underserved communities. That's one data point. The next is those most vulnerable communities are often, if not always the most vulnerable. That's the second data point. Mm -hmm. The third data point is having a more diverse team in the emergency management side of the equation, Mm -hmm. just naturally provides more attention to those most vulnerable communities. I mean, that's really the whole goal, right?
1: Absolutely. And and you said that so perfectly. That is actually our intention. We know that psychology, you know, my background is actually um, (laughs) in psychology. I was thinking I would go to school and become a A psychotherapist, that didn't happen. Um, But I I often um, am fascinated still by the way that we think. And we know that when people identify with the communities they're serving, they serve them better because it's it's that whole survival instinct of identification. I identify with that group. I associate with that group. That group looks like me. Mm -hmm. I'll take care of that group. And it's natural. And so when you don't have more representation within the field, for example, Louisiana and I believe Mississippi as well, their entire emergency management um, staff at each of, those, um, each of those county directors in emergency management, none of them are African-American, all are white. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think there's one Asian-American and that is it. That is the full spectrum of diversity. So you have communities that are so diverse. And unfortunately, after a disaster, many will say we haven't even seen the emergency manager. We haven't seen uh, anyone come in yet. And it's two weeks out. Right. From fire rescue, we still have people who are trapped in their trailers, yeah. and so that is that um, that disconnect that we want to bring attention to.
0: You have a couple of other programs that I want to touch on, and we're a little short on time, so I'm going to kind of uh, lump a couple of things together and get you to talk about them more uh, generally. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have this resilience for small women and minority-owned businesses. So it's Resilience for SWAM, which I love the acronym. I think it's great. (laughs) And then you also have this program called Hurricane, which I also love. I think it's fantastic. And it's a great idea to help promote more women to get involved in the industry. So just spend a minute and talk about those two initiatives.
1: Absolutely. So um, SWAM, we want more women and uh, minority-owned businesses to be more resilient and prepared, especially in times of disaster, so this project actually came about. We were working on a project in North Carolina, and we were meeting with their uh, SBA teams, and and they mentioned that they had a lot of women-owned businesses, and um, not many were prepared for the influx of hurricanes. And uh, you know, no, North Carolina, for some reason, gets a lot of uh, of hurricanes. And so we thought, you know, this might be a good area to start with in terms of getting more um, um, business owners prepared. For example, something as simple as after a disaster occurs, don't pay your staff from your from your business um, savings. Wait until you can work with the SBA to either get a loan or get some other source of funding, because if you use your money, you're not going to be able to get it back. <laughs> Something as simple as that. Yeah, I um, didn't know
0: that. That's great. Yeah.
1: Yes. And even working with some of the fisher, um, fishermen where they are keeping their um, information on ledgers, writing it. Well, we need you to um, really think about automating some of this. Because if something happens and you can't access those tablets, those ledgers, you have no way to get assistance. You're estimating and guessing and you have no. So some of those simple things are necessary for minority and women-owned businesses who typically have smaller staff. So that means they're doing more work and they don't have as much support um, to really get educated on some of the the finer points of, of business resilience that's, that's necessary. So, um, and then the hurricane program, that's an awesome program for, you know, for, for women and for young girls who are interested in, in, and joining the field of emergency management. And we call it hurricane. It's a plate on hurricane. It's H E R not H U R. So it's hurricane. And uh, we've had great support for this uh, program. Other people are just as excited about it as the, uh, as we all are. And uh, our first hurricane program was hosted by Philadelphia, um, Philadelphia Fire. So um, it's an opportunity for us to bring in um, women and girls from uh, different uh, segments of our uh, communities all over the United States. And we spent about a week um, really giving them the overview of emergency management from a woman's perspective so we've had deanne criswell from uh, the administrator for fema we've had a lot of great women in uh, emergency management meteorology homeland security uh, come in and give these young ladies uh, an overview of emergency management and it's sponsored by farmers insurance and so
0: yeah that's great that they sponsor it so shout mm -hmm. out to farmers insurance for doing that and, mm-hmm. and for you, I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're planting trees that you'll never sit under, right? Because th- right. these things take time. I, I, it just goes right. to the level of respect I have for the organization. And Thank so l- let me ask you this. I want to squeeze this question in because I think it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got to be tough. It, it has to feel like an uphill battle. Hatred and extremism are as prevalent today as they were, you know, back even during Dr. King's time, maybe even more so, because people are encouraged and more emboldened today, it seems. Mm-hmm. And I'm reminded of Michelle Obama's famous phrase when she said, When they go low, we go high. And that's got to be at the forefront of your mind all the time. Like, what are some of the frustrations that you're facing that that we should be aware of?
1: Mm. Oh, that's an excellent question. So it's like you're in my head. It's like you're in my heart. It's really tough sometimes. Uh, It's not the uh, it's not the easiest thing to do. But as you said, you are here for a purpose. And what my personal philosophy is that I'm here to serve. As long as I'm here on Earth, my intention and my purpose is to serve others. And so, for me, it's critical to continue pushing this as much as possible this fight for equity so that we can save lives and so that we can ensure that more um, people. Um, have better outcomes post-disaster so that we can ensure more people of color, more women, more elderly people, more people who are from lower um, income backgrounds. We want to make sure they have better outcomes post-disaster because right now they suffer the most and it's disproportionate. They're impacted the most. Their recovery time is slowest. And so when you're bringing these issues and in some cases to, to very large forums. I mean, in some cases, we're talking to, I know on on Monday, I have a group that's about 600 people. And so you're talking about racial equity to bankers, um, to purchasing (laughs) purchasing, um, directors, and you're you're asking them to to be more open to um, diversity. Can we we ask that you become more transparent in your decision-making? HR directors, can we understand more so um, wh- how you're getting in uh, diverse applicants? are you are you being as intentional? Can, can we consider some of these things and you're walking into someone's house and basically looking around and saying, I don't like the way you decorate
0: <laughs> <And>
1: so, <laughs> so naturally uh, it raises their ire sometimes you can see some you can see the hackles going up sometimes. Um, And uh, sometimes the the, uh, atmosphere in the room becomes charged. And so what we intentionally do is we de-conflict and we bring it down. So we train specifically to be those thermometers to change that atmosphere. Let's talk about this in a different way. This is a brave space. We don't have to blame, but what we do have to do while we're here is work together. And we wanted to do that so we can come out with great solutions that are going to benefit a whole bunch of people. And that's 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 what we want. Um, So, yeah, sometimes it is difficult. I mean, I was just sharing with someone yesterday that um, someone said to me, well, Chauncey, how long do we have to keep focusing and giving these people handouts? And so I said to myself, (laughs) oh, my. okay." So it's that it's that uh, it's that mindset of you people are the interlopers. You people don't belong here. You people are uh, using resources that rightfully belong to us. And now you want us to get out of the way and give you a seat at the table. And so that's kind of the mindset and the attitude you get sometimes. And, you know, we've had great success in, in shifting that a bit and saying that's that's not the intention. And that's not the truth. Let's go. Let's talk about the history of all of this.
0: I'll get you out of here on this, Chauncey. I I know I'm engaged more just by listening to you speak, and I'm sure listeners are going to want to learn more about the Institute. How can they connect with you and and, and maybe how can they connect with the Institute for Diversity and Inclusion in Emergency Management?
1: Oh, we love, we you know, we love people. We're, all, <laughs> we're emergency managers, so we're all about the people. And we love building relationships. So definitely visit our website um, and take a look at what we're doing. Um, we have a volunteer portal. So if anyone would like to volunteer. Uh, And we train you um, to go out with us. In some cases, um, we're gearing up for hurricane season right now. So we know that we will be deploying our equity response teams. Um, And so uh, I can't say that it's a glorious and amazing uh, (laughs) opportunity, but it is a chance to go out and actually uh, be of of assistance in, in finding areas where the people who have the smallest voice in some cases and no platform um, where you're actually facilitating that voice and making it bigger, amplifying um, their situation. So definitely look for opportunities to volunteer. And certainly if you just like to uh, to speak to one of our team members, um, or if you have a project you think might be interesting, we, we love to connect. So um, we oftentimes will say stay up late at night past 10 p.m um working with different people just to make sure that um we are addressing uh their issues their needs so we're here to serve and uh and also we're here to lead so let us know um connect with us and uh let's innovate together
0: Johncia, thank you for this um i'm the one who's uh blessed and honored to have you here so thank you for doing it and uh Thanks for taking the time.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been such a wonderful experience and an honor. I hope we can do it again. Are you going to have me back?
0: I'm going to have you back for sure. (laughs) (laughs) That little laugh from Chauncia right at the end of the interview lets me know there's a lot more to get to know about this impressive woman. Special thanks to Chauncia Willis for being my guest on the podcast today. Be sure to check her out in the links in the show notes. As always, I wouldn't be here without ClearRisk. If you'd like to learn more about the new ClearRisk BCP solution, reach out and I'd be happy to tell you more. We have more great guests in store. So join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.